Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Parsha class. Good to see you all. Um, here we are heading towards the end of the year, the calendar year. And, um, and we are also here at the end of the book of Genesis. It, it happens so fast. There, there are 12 Parshot in the book of Genesis. So just 12 weeks in and suddenly we've, every year feels a little bit like I gear up to finally understand the book of Genesis, finally go deep into the book of Genesis, finally um, really study it as it should be studied. And every year it just kind of passes me by and I, I feel like I haven't done it justice. Um, the, the, speaking of um, trying to figure things out, today I want to um, explore a question um, that I've never really been, been found a satisfactory answer to. Um, to look at a scene that has always, um, has always confused me and uh, and um, as I said, we are at the end of Genesis and all is, all is well to a certain extent, all, all is well. Um, Genesis has been um, plagued by um, family feuding and strife, especially between siblings. It's one of the great themes of Genesis, right from the start, Cain and Abel. And uh, Cain and Abel and Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau, but in some ways, most explosively, Joseph and his brothers. And that's been taking our attention for the last several weeks, this epic story of Joseph being favored by Jacob, because Ben Zikunimhu, because he was the child of his old age, and Jacob's, uh, Joseph's brothers hating him for it. Hate is the word that they use. Selling him into slavery, then uh, Joseph... Um, uh, rises to power, is not recognized by them, and takes his revenge on the brothers by manipulating them, sending back and them back, sending them back and forth to Canaan, and um, and it's just been horrible. But in last week's parsha, Joseph broke down, and everything broke down, and Joseph immediately, um, when he reveals himself, forgives his brothers and says, "Don't worry," and. It's been hard on all of us, but God intended this all. Joseph seems to have some grand vision of the hand of divine providence in all of this. And he 
he seems immediately to forgive and to love his brothers and to invite them all down to e to Egypt to to uh, to settle in the best part of 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 the land of Egypt in the land of Goshen and brings his father down too and so the family so divided has come together again and the the book ends with all of the brothers standing around Jacob's um, bedside as 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 he prepares to to die and, and blesses them seems great seems like oh we figured out how to be a family and all is is well except that Jacob is making trouble again Jacob is making trouble again and this is the thing I've never been able to figure out because for all of the obvious lessons of um, sibling rivalry and favoritism Jacob here at the end of his life is still playing favorites, still playing favorites. And the blessing that we just heard is drawn from a scene that is actually rather extended that I'm gonna take us through today. And it has always vexed me. Um, what is it that Jacob is so obsessed with? What is it about Jacob that is so, um, that is, that is so locked in to this idea of playing favorites and in particular, favoring the younger above the older child. It's like a, a dominant theme in Genesis, but Jacob seems to take it up with greater um, insistence and ferocity uh, than anyone else, even after it has totally ruined his family. So um, uh, here, if, if you want a little um, of the background, uh, just thinking about playing favorites in this book, um, the book of Genesis. Um, here's a podcast um, that I did uh, several weeks ago, just on the idea, we could have talked about this anywhere in Genesis, just on the idea of playing favorites. And why is it such a dominant theme in the book of Genesis? We've actually talked about that before. And there are various theories, and maybe some of them will come up today. But, um, but whatever theories we come up with, um, Jacob is going to um, is going to is going to um, be the the foremost representative of this um, this sort of insistence, passion, and today I'm calling it an obsession with 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 choosing with choosing the younger Jacob, who was the younger. So that's our that's our topic for today. Let's say a blessing um, to get into our into our into our our holy space of learning. Okay, so we are in Parshat Vayechi. Uh, the language is Vayechi, which means, and he lived, and he lived. And the he is Jacob, Jake, and Jacob lived. And um, just like in Parshat Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah, um, the uh, the Parsha that is named for, for life actually highlights death. And Sarah lived uh, is, is, is the name of, of, of an earlier Parsha because it marks the end of Sarah's life. And so too, Parshat Vayechi, same language there, and Jacob lived, will, in this case, Jacob's not dead yet, but the entire Parsha will be centered around Jacob's death. And with Jacob's death, to a certain extent, the book of Genesis comes to an end and we turn to the setting of Egypt in the book of Exodus next week. Um, so it's all about Jacob's death. The Parsha begins with a scene 
that is almost like a prelude to the scene we're going to look at today. The Parsha begins by Jacob um, summoning Joseph and saying, hey, when I die, bury me in the land of Canaan. Take me out of Egypt. Bury me in the land of Canaan. Okay? That's one request. Um, then, um, then comes the scene we're going to look at today, but let's skip it for now and uh, move to the, the biggest event of the Parsha, the big what is this Parsha known for? The big scene is Jacob individually blessing each one of his sons. And they aren't all the nicest blessings in the world. That in itself is a complicated narrative that we could, we'll, we'll tangle with another time. And then finally, Jacob does die. And Joseph, uh, especially, but Joseph and his brothers mourn him, wail over him. And that is how the Parsha ends. And then finally, Joseph, Joseph dies. And that is, that is how really the book ends. So it's a Parsha named for life, but all about death. Okay, so I said, there's one scene in the middle there, right? Jacob says, bury me in Egypt. Um, Jacob um, goes to bless his, all of his sons. But in the middle, there's sort of a, a transitional scene. Jacob says, Joseph, promise me you'll bury me in Egypt. And then Jacob calls it seems like now he's really about to die, almost like the Parsha starts over again. And then the days of, of Jacob's um, death came closer. And, he, and this time, Joseph, he doesn't summon Joseph, Joseph goes to Jacob to also receive blessings. So you see, there's a little bit like the movement here is Jacob summons Joseph. Then the scene is Joseph comes to Jacob a second time for blessings. And then the scene is, um, all of the children of Jacob come for blessings. And it's important to see it in that sandwich because um, there's something particular about the relationship that Jacob has with Joseph where they have this one-on-one -on -one relationship. They're making deals, you know, privately. And that in itself is a kind of ongoing favoritism. But also there's something happening before Jacob blesses his own children. Joseph wants to sneak in and get his children blessed. And that's the scene we're going to look at today. Okay, so let's take a look. And we're going to read through it um, once carefully, and then we'll try to do a little bit of textual work. We'll look at some commentators, we'll look at some, some other reference points in the Torah that'll be helpful, but mostly we're just going to look at this scene in chapter 48 of, um, of the book of Genesis, where, as I said, um, Joseph has already been there, and uh, he comes back. He's already been like to his father. So here's chapter 48. Let me just show you how this works. And again, you can just click on the, the title in the, in the Safari sheet and you go to chapter 48, but let's just back up a few lines. And this is Parshat Vayechi, end of chapter 47. And Jacob, I said Vayechi, Jacob lived 17 years in the land of Egypt. Okay. And this is how you can tell he's going to die because they mark the 147 years that he lived. Okay, and then when the time approached for Israel to die, he summoned his son Joseph and he said, don't bury me in Egypt. Okay, and he swears and that's that. Then chapter 48 begins. Okay, so now let's go to chapter 48. Sometime afterward, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So I guess it's now it's really happening. Like it already seemed like Jacob was aware of his impending death, but now it's really happening. So he took with him his two sons, Menashe and Ephraim, Joseph's two sons, Menashe and Ephraim. When Jacob was told your son Joseph has come to see you, Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. 
interesting. Both names of, of Jacob used in the same sentence. When Jacob was told, Israel summoned his strength. And that's worth noting because Israel is his national name. Jacob is his personal name. Okay. And then Jacob says a few things that don't seem like they have anything to do with the moment at hand at all. But we'll read through them because they're here and we'll wonder later, what was Jacob talking about? So Jacob said to Joseph, El Shaddai appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. Usually don't use the he pronoun for God. Um, and God blessed me. No, no, that's... And God blessed me. I'll, I'll fix that later. Okay. Um, and said to me, I will make you fertile and numerous making of you a community of peoples. Um, let's see, where am I? Uh, yes, here I am. mafrecha. I will make you fertile. I will make you fruitful. Let's change that to fruitful and multiply. Just like that early Adam and Eve language, fruitful and multiply. Uh, and I'll make you a community of peoples and I will give this land to your offspring, after you, for an eternal, uh, an eternal possession. Now, okay, so, I don't know, that's flowery language. It's a blessing that Jacob's remembering, but why this blessing, why now? Jacob has spoken to God a, a handful of times, but, but he's making reference to a specific encounter with God. Now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt shall be mine. Ephraim and Manashe shall be mine no less than Ruvain and Shimon. Okay, but any progeny born to you after them shall be yours. They shall be recorded um, instead of their brothers in their inheritance. Okay, let me just speak out what just happened there. They shall be mine just like Reuven and Shimon. Well, He's about to bless all of his children. So it seems that what he's saying is, I will take your two children on as if they were my own children. They will not be grandchildren to me. They will both be my children. And that will have real world or Torah world implications because all of the tribes, all of the children will become tribes and all of the tribes will receive a parcel, a plot of land in the land of Canaan. And now, Ephraim and Manasseh each get a whole plot of land. And how, how will that work? One way that will work is that the tribe of, of Levi, the priestly tribe, will not have a plot of land. So it's sort of like Jacob's like presaging a, 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 a flip here where um, both of jo Joseph's children um, get an entire plot of land. And, and I guess the, the plot from Levi gets transferred to Ephraim, who is the younger child. So you can already see it happening. And here's what else you can already see happening. And I wouldn't speak this out, except that it becomes obvious later. It's important to take note that Joseph brought his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. But as soon as Jacob starts talking about them, it's Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, pay attention to that. Okay, so that's, so Jacob, I said, Jacob says a number of things that are a little strange. This one is at least relevant to the situation, but it's surprising. He's taking on Joseph's two grandchildren as full sons. And if you have any more grandchildren, that won't count, but these two I'll take on as full sons. 
Um, Jacob recalled this blessing. That seems important to him sometime, somehow. I want to change this to fruitful because I think I've translated it that way later. Fruitful and numerous, okay? Um, and then finally, and this is the strangest thing that Jacob says. And as for me, when I was returning from Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow while I was journeying in the land of Canaan when still some distance short of Ephrat, and I buried her there on the road to Ephrat, which is now Bethlehem. Okay, that's, that's an interesting moment because Rachel is, is Joseph's mother. And a lot of the commentaries assume that Jacob is saying, you know, and I know you hold it against me. I know you think I didn't care for your mother, but this is the situation. She died on me on the way. To, I, there was nothing I could do. Okay, it is relevant in that sense. Joseph may want to know what, whatever happened to my mother. Why isn't she here? But it doesn't seem to have, have anything else to do with what's going on. Okay, so Jacob mentions that. Okay, now, the, now here comes the scene and here's where things get weird. And as soon as I'm done, um, I'm going to open up the conversation uh, and, and allow us to ask us, what, what is going on with Jacob here? But let's, uh, let's see what he does. Okay, so noticing Joseph's sons, which is strange, they're there, but it's a, suddenly, and suddenly he sees them. Israel asked, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me here. Asher Natan Elohim Baze, here. Um, bring them to me, says Jacob, that I may bless them. Great, that's what Joseph wanted. Now, Israel's eyes had grown heavy with age, and he could not see. Now, that's important detail, right? Who, who does that remind you of? An aging father who can no longer see very well. Okay. All right, let's, uh, I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> let's just, let's, uh, we can bring that into our discussion as well. So Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. So nice. These are his grandkids, and I guess he's meeting them for the first time, even though that's a little strange. Why didn't Joseph bring them earlier? And Israel said to Joseph, and what a beautiful thing, lo pilalti vihine, uh, roe panecha lo pilalti vihine heraoti her alukim gamet zarecha. I never expected to see you again. Literally, like, I never, I never judged I would see you again, or I never prayed I would see you again. And here, God has let me see your children as well. Hooray, so nice. And then, and then the blessing. Joseph then removed him from his knees and bowed low with his face to the ground. Joseph took the two of them, Ephraim with his right hand. Look at how explicit the Torah is in describing the scene. Ephraim was in um, Joseph's right hand, which as he faced his father meant he was on Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand to Israel's right. So it's like Joseph had to think this out. He had to do the thing that you do when you're like giving someone, you know, instructions in the, in the mirror or something, you know, like he had to switch it for himself and realize I'm putting if Menashe in Jacob's right hand, right hand, which has great symbolism in biblical language. And um, he takes Ephraim and puts Ephraim on the side that is in uh, Jacob's left hand. But, and here's the critical line. V'yishlach Yisrael et yimino, but Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and his left hand on Menashe's head. 
thus intentionally crossing his hands. This is an unusual word in the Torah, sikel et yadav. He, sikel is sort of related to like intention and, and thinking. He did it on purpose. He crossed over his hands, even though ki menashe habachor, because menashe was the firstborn. And there's that famous, famous word. That famous, famous word. The first habachor, right? Which is the thing that Jacob once bought from his brother Esau, okay? So that's the moment, that's the scene. And actually, um, if I, let's see, if I can uh, show you, it's, it's worth just, uh, the, uh, here's, maybe you saw this um, on my Facebook post, but, um, but I, I, I included a, 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 a painting by Benjamin West. They're really, it's really like, here's the scene, right? This is Joseph who looks like Jesus in this painting. And, um, and here's aging Jacob and there are those hands. That's what we're describing. They don't know what's going on. Look at these like cherubic little European kids that Jacob has, but, um, but okay, that's what happened. Okay, what's going on? What's going on? What is Jacob doing? Why? And, and Joseph thinks the same thing. And we'll, now we'll finish the scene and then I'll open it up to you. And he blessed Joseph. And that's weird too, by the way. Why didn't he bless the kids? But he blessed Joseph saying, the God in whose ways my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd from my birth to this day. And here's the line we were we were we were hearing uh, sung at the outset. The angel who has redeemed me from all harm. Bless the lads. In them may my name be recalled, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they be teeming multitudes. Upon this earth. Okay, that's the blessing. But when Joseph saw that his father was placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, this was bad in his eyes. To move it from, a, from Ephraim's head to Menashe's. Not so, father, Joseph said. Locane, not so, father, for the other is the firstborn. What are you doing? You can't do this again. My goodness, you can't do this again. You, know, you did this to me and it ruined my life, right? You favored me and my brothers hated me. Don't do this. But his father refused, saying, and I love this is so Jacob, Jacob who's so um, inscrutable. It's just sort of, uh, we don't know exactly what's going on in Jacob's head, but he says, I know, my son, I know, I know, I know what I'm doing. He too shall become a people and he too shall be great. Yet his younger brother shall be greater than he and his offspring shall be plentiful enough for many nations. It should say many nations. So he blessed them that day saying, by Israel shall you invoke, invoke blessings saying, may God make you like, and look at this order again, make you like Ephraim and Menashe. And if we hadn't caught it so far, the Torah just says, thus he put Ephraim before Menashe. Okay, so lots of thinking and work to do here, but uh, so far I've been talking, so let me just pause here. And now, now that we've cracked this scene open, let's ask the central question, which is what's Jacob up to? Why is Jacob doing this? What is it, what is, I mean, it's some, to a certain extent, we're just speculating, it's just guesswork. 
Um, but does anyone have a theory? Why is Jacob still picking that youngest son? Still, even when his son, Joseph protests. No, 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 no. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Why? Any, any immediate thoughts to, as to what's going on in Jacob's mind? Esra, hi. Hi, y'all. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not a very exciting theory, but I was thinking um, just like about the relationships between grandparents and grandchildren, which is, you know, so distinct in its own way. And maybe from a, this sounds so shallow, maybe, but from like a strategic standpoint, you know, his eyes are growing weak. I mean, I, I help my grandma out a lot. And, you know, sometimes the parents are too busy uh, to help their own parents, but the grandchildren are around and they're young. They have a little more time. They can show up, maybe, you know, tidy around, water the plants or whatnot, tend to the flock. I don't know. So, um, yeah, so there's that. And then, and then the second theory I have, so maybe one, it's strategic. And then two, like psychologically, sometimes like, okay, the younger ones, they're too cool for school. They're on the IG, but like, he's like wanting to draw him closer. Cause you know, the older one will, will be invested anyways in the family. Um, and, and then the other theory, so yeah, strategic or maybe, you know, social emotional. And then lastly, um, maybe he just has some kind of, you know, sixth sense or prescience that, that is very uncomfortable and uh, like uncomfortable because treating differentially, you know, children is terrible and grandchildren. Nevertheless, maybe he knows something we don't know. Ah, okay, great. So Esther gives us a, a, a lot of, a lot of um, they say, blessed is your mind that went where the sages' minds went because uh, Esther taps right into some of the classic interpretations here. And one is that, uh, I don't know who says, I believe Rashi says this, that Ephraim and Jacob just had a very close relationship. Ephraim hung out around Jacob and actually was his favorite grandson. And there's, it's just straightforward like that, Ephraim, there is some reason that we just imagine a backstory where Ephraim was a good grandkid and Manasseh, that uh, he didn't have that relationship. That's a theory. And it's a theory which, um, which suggests a straightforward answer, which is that Jacob is just choosing his favorite. He actually is, it's not, it's not some big, it's not some big complicated thing. He actually has favorites. And so did his mother and so did his father. Right? His mother favored him. He knows how this is. You, you, you pick your favorite. Of course, I'm, I'm just like, let me just say as a sort of um, parenthetical here, as we ask this question about Jacob, we're sort of asking it about the whole Torah. God is the first person, first non-person to pick a, a younger before an older. So there's something the Torah wants to do in general. And maybe, maybe the answer is, well, I pick the one I want. And that's not it's not as simple an answer as it sounds because it also is saying that we're gonna do this based on some kind of evaluation of merit. God says this is the, it's not the, in other words, and this is the fancy language uh, for it, the Torah is um, pushing back against the ancient institution of primogeniture, of, of favoring the firstborn just because he came out first. No, says the Torah, that's not the way a covenant is, is inherited. The good, the good child, is the one that will get the covenant. So, um, so that's one answer. And then the other answer that Esther uh, gave us, the other uh, um, the answer that she ended with that I want to highlight is maybe he just knew something. 
he had, and this is another answer that's, that starts in the, in the rabbinic midrashim, he had ruach hakodesh. He had, he had a vision. He, he could see into the future. And that's actually the most common answer. So here, just like Ezra did this work well for us, you can see that the, um, one of the famous commentators, Nachmanides, the Ramban, does pretty much the same thing. It, why was it bad in Joseph's eyes? Perhaps, jo now this is a funny take on it, perhaps Joseph loved Menashe more on account of his being firstborn. Hence it angered him. So maybe it's just a replay of the Isaac Rebecca, except that this time it's, it's Joseph and Jacob. Jacob loved Ephraim more. Joseph loved Menashe more. So they're upset. But then the Ramban says, but the correct interpretation in my eyes is that he thought his, this is Esther's last answer, he thought his father had made a mistake concerning them. And if his blessing would be without true knowledge, it would never be fulfilled upon them as it would not have been done with the proper Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit. But when his father told him, I know it, son, my, I know it, Joseph, nit, nit Joseph was at peace, okay? Because on that level of interpretation, it's all about fulfilling some prophetic vision. And everybody knows that whatever the vision says is true. It's just, we're not sure what it says. And Jacob is saying, no, no, I didn't make a mistake. That is what the vision told me. Let's go back into the text a little bit. And we have the basic narrative, but let's just, let's just, look at some of the reference points because they are important here. One, one, um, one, the Torah is always giving us clues and pointing to other places in the text. That's, that's just the way the Torah works. And one of them I, I asked you about before, but you, I asked you to answer it in your head. And that was that, um, that Jacob, has his eyes had grown heavy with age. Right. So that's a, that's, that seems like a, a, a clear echo of Isaac, um, whose eyes had grown dim with age. Right. Different language there. We could, in a different class, we could think about what's the difference between his eyes grew dim, and kavdu um, mizoken, his eyes grew heavy. But there's some kind of replay of the very scene where. Jacob was going to his blind, his blinding father and, um, and trying to get the blessing from his father that wasn't due him. So it's all replaying in, Jake, in Jacob's mind. Okay, so that's one reference point. But here's another. When Jacob says at the end, I know my son, I know. He too shall become a people and he too shall be great. Yet his younger brother shall be greater than he and his offspring shall be plentiful enough for nations. So now, what does that remind you of? Who, who, who else spoke out that, um, that kind of um, vision of the future? Or I should say, who else heard um, that kind of vision of the future? Because it was God that spoke it out. God said a very similar thing. To whom? Again, I'm asking you to answer in your head. To Rebecca. To Rebecca, right? Rebecca, when she was pregnant with Jacob and Esau, had labor, or not labor pains, pregnancy pains, and the children struggled in her womb, and she said, if so, why do I exist? And she went to inquire of the Eternal, and the Eternal answered her, two nations are in your womb. Two separate people shall issue from your body. One shall be mightier than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. Now, if that's not 
That's as explicit as the Torah slash God gets that there's a plan here. Rebecca received a kind of prophecy. And so uh, one way of thinking, you know, it seems so unfair and Jacob stole the blessing. But one way of thinking about all that is that Rebecca knew that it had to be this way. And she told Jacob, and now Jacob knows it has to be this way. It has to be this way. And he's saying the same things that his mother heard and his mother told him. And that's just, you, the, the, Jacob is, is cluing us in to some kind of message from God that he feels like he has to play out. Okay, so that's, that's a little more information. Okay, uh, let's take a couple more thoughts. And then I want to present you with one last theory here, or one last reading here. Um, but let's, uh, let's hear some more interpretations before we do from Jen and then Allison. This backs a little bit away from the oldest versus youngest sort of thing. Um, but like, there just seems to me like, I'm so fascinated by the interpretation that what this is, is not a conscious choice, but like stating a vision that was already there and was already going to happen anyway, that this is just announcing it to everyone, because that stands in such tension to the story with Jacob as a child of like, why go through that deception and do all of that work in order to like, get a blessing that you were going to get anyway, right? Like if it's this, if it's a parallel story, then then that blessing isn't actually being given, it's just being acknowledged. Um, and it seems to me like there's such a tension throughout all these stories of like how much of this is like kind of fated to be anyway, how much are we along a ride that is, has a destination that is already determined and how much of are we actually making choices about who gets blessed and who doesn't and, and what moves right. And it, I love the parallel of these stories that way because the first seems so much like, yes, this is something that we accomplished um, we stole it from the other person. We did it. And then the other one seems so much like, yeah, this is just how it's going to be. And I'm just letting you know. Okay. That I love, I, I, that's a very, uh, I love that um, suggestion. And it's an important one for us to keep in mind that perhaps um, what's happening here is not determination of the future via blessing, but actually just acknowledgement of the way things are, the inevitable. I mean, if we think back to Jacob and Esau, first of all, Esau gets a blessing. Even though he's so upset he didn't get the first one, he still gets a blessing. And, and secondly, Esau ends up being like the mightier nation. <laughs> I mean, that's one of those like weirdest things about this. Yes, Jacob inherits the covenant and Esau's so bitter, but Jacob's still afraid of Esau. Like it doesn't actually seem like that much changed. And so borrowing from um, Jen's analysis here, I would wonder whether what we're looking at here is just family politics or whether we really are to understand that Jacob is determining the future, just as he stole the future from Isaac. Just like there's something about the, the course of the covenant being directed here. And sometimes, we know that to be true because God steps in and says it. God said to Rebecca, the younger one, okay, you know, God said to Abraham, no, not Ishmael, Isaac. Okay, so God has some, some um, plan in mind, but here, here, Jacob is just, Jacob is just telling Joseph what he, what he envisions. And so I, I do think that there's a, uh, an open question here that Jen is is rightly raising for us as to whether all of this is just descriptive or or determinative. What exactly does it mean to give a blessing? Does that is that somehow the the charting of the course into the future, or is it just 
any number of other things, family, family preferences, you know, family drama. Um, I mean, Joseph never got a special blessing that made him the head of his brothers. He just eventually became the head of his brothers. So maybe this is just, there's a, maybe we can separate between the actual um, development of these characters and their fates and the like, the internal conversation about like the, the covenant and the blessing and the firstborn, they're wrapped up in all of these um, symbolic uh, uh, titles, but maybe in the end, people are gonna be who they're gonna be. So that, I think that's, that's, that's worth seriously considering. Allison? Hey, um, so uh, it's good timing because what I wanna say sort of builds on what Jen was just saying. Um, you know, Jacob is a really interesting, difficult character in some ways, right? Because in some ways he's, he struggles so much with interpersonal relationships in his life. But one could also say that like, he sort of like creates these struggles, you know, like he, he chooses one wife over the others and makes it so obvious, like which one he loves. And he chooses one son over the others and he deceives his father. He does all these things. And, you know, of course he has this like really prominent place in our tradition because he's Jacob, he's Israel, you know, like the tribes of Israel, it's a big deal. And yet I'm always struck by the fact that once Jacob's given the new name Israel, it's not as though the Torah just shifts and now he's Israel the whole time. Even in the course of this Torah portion, you know, like from one verse to the next, sometimes he's Israel, sometimes he's Jacob. And I think that there's meaning in that because like to me, when I read this Parsha, like if there's ugliness in it and, you know, sometimes when I think, when I wanna like put on a lens of beauty and like see beauty in the Torah, I can tell this, this story that all throughout Genesis, you see these like brothers who wanna kill each other and they're fighting and they're fighting. And then there's this beautiful like reconciliation at the end. And Joseph is able to forgive his brothers and cry and come back together. And then we have Menashe and Ephraim and wow, the first brothers who don't wanna kill each other. And yet Jacob kind of complicates that or at, at least makes an attempt to complicate it when he switches his hands and tries to give the blessing, like the older, the bigger blessing to the younger child. He was doing that Jacob thing, like not the Israel thing, but the Jacob thing where he like chooses one over the other and there's this ugliness to it and it can kind of like incite jealousy and resentment and yet in this case, it's like the curse is sort of broken, like that, that something about Joseph and the fact that Joseph was willing to intervene and say, hey, dad, actually, no, this is the order. You know, even that Jacob doesn't listen to Joseph and, and keeps his hands that way anyway. That's like a, a kind of a, 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 a new interpretation. We haven't, we haven't really considered this before, but it's an important one to consider before we close, which is, that the, the, the question is the answer. That is, why has Jacob got this weird obsession? Yeah, that's, Jacob's got something and there's ugliness in it. And there's, there's favorites, there's playing favorites and it's not good parenting and it's not good grandparenting, but he's just, there's something about that he won't let go. And 
he and and listen we've been thinking trying to get inside jacob's head this whole time but think about what joseph said says don't do this not anymore stop doing this and jacob's like nope nope i'm gonna do it i'm gonna because jacob is jacob is a lot of things and we can be critical of him but he is tough and he persists and he does what he wants to do and he makes things happen and he's he he forged the nation like there is something powerful about Jacob and he, he won't back down. And uh, Allison suggests at the end there that, you know, that may be Jacob's particular quirk, but maybe we move past it anyway. It is so important to remember that Miriam and Moses and Aaron, for the most part, get along very well and love each other. It is as if somehow we've broken past that, that, that barrier where, where, where children are set up to hate each other. And maybe Joseph is the figure who leaves Jacob's preferences behind. And even though Jacob is saying all this, Joseph says, no, nah, everybody's in, everybody's in. But then again, that's not exactly true. Ephraim will have a, try, a, a plot of land unto himself. There is something, and who knows, Joseph seems like maybe he's playing both sides. He snuck in beforehand, right, to, to get this blessing. What is he doing? What's this secret conversation he's having with his father? Okay, just a few minutes left here. And I want to offer you one last reading that I think is just spectacular. Um, and as you know, I, I tend to favor a, a kind of literary reading. And there, there, there are some, some, some language uh, devices being used here that I think it's worth paying attention to. So we, um, we've already noticed some parallels between this and other stories. The fact that, um, that Jacob says, oh, he'll be greater than, um, he'll, both of them will be great nations, but the, but the younger will be greater than the, than the older. And we saw that that was very similar to the prophecy that Rebecca had received. Two nations are, are in your womb, okay? Now that word nations, goyim, is, is one that, that, that Jacob uses as well. Plentiful enough for nations, goyim. But let's just bring one other text into the mix, which is the one that Jacob referenced at the outset. Jacob said, God El Shaddai appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, what did he say? I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make you fruitful, mafrecha. I will make you fruitful and numerous. Okay, let's just go to that scene. And it, the language is a little different in the scene. The scene is in Genesis 35. Jacob has left Esau, has resolved the conflict with his brother, and God suddenly appears and says, I am El Shaddai, be fruitful and multiply. Pre urve, be fruitful, and you will be an assembly of nations. There's that goyim language again. So now we've got the language of fruitful and the language of nations. And let's just think, the, the, there's an echo here of building nations through fruitfulness, through through multiplication, through um, fertile abundance. Now, what name in our passage has the root of fruitfulness to it? Ephraim? Ephraim. Ephraim. Ephraim is named for, his, for Joseph's fruitfulness. And uh, this is, here's, here's a very quick explanation of it from the Kliakar, who says in the name of the Abarbanel, a beautiful literary analysis here. Our great teacher, Rabbi Yitzchak Abarbanel, explained that he took it for a sign. Jacob took it for a sign when God said, I will make you fruitful, that this referred to Ephraim. Because Ephraim's name, here it is, 
has this same language, right? Here's the, the pay ratio in here, and here's the pay ratio in here. These words are related that he too would be at the head. Now let's just go and see, see that happen. The second son he named Ephraim, meaning God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction, okay? But the Barbanel goes further and says um, that he also brings another sign from the incident of Rachel's burial on the road to Ephrat. For Ephrat reminds us of the name Ephraim. So this is another sign that Ephraim would be the head of a tribe. Okay, so that's interest. That's beautiful work. Why was he mentioning that name? But now we're seeing fruitful, Ephrat, Ephraim, all of these like repeating, repeating, repeating. And it's the fruitfulness which produces the, the future, right? It's kind of a, you know, a, a, a theory of, of reproduction as the, as the engine that drives the future. And that will be true in the book of Exodus to a large extent. Okay, we're out of time, but let me just add one last thing. And I, for me, this is, I, I, I said, I never figured this out, but this year I had one insight that I'd never had before. So let me just end with this, with this insight, which is that, okay, the fruitfulness, that's the Abarbanel's work. That's, that, that, that's, that's worth thinking about this sort of coded reference to, to Ephraim in the language of fruitfulness. And Ephraim's name is the language of fruitfulness. But let's think then, about the name Menashe. And with this we'll end, but take a look at how Menashe is named. Because before the, this is back in when, when Joseph first comes to power, before the years of famine came, Joseph became the father of two sons whom Osnat, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Menashe, meaning God has made me forget completely my hardship and my father's home. God has made me forget my father's home. Thank God for erasing the memory of my father's home from me. And the second son he named Ephraim, meaning God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So I want to leave you with that, that there's some, if the name Ephraim is encoded with the language of fruitfulness, and that matters to Jacob, and we should really have another another half hour just to like tease all of these symbols out. But if that fruitfulness matters to Jacob, put it in opposition to another child whose name represents the erasing of Jacob, the forgetting of Jacob, the cutting off from the past. And now it begins to make a little sense that Jacob keeps talking about the chain from Abraham to Isaac, and God keeps making us fruitful, and God keeps making us fruitful. And so, of course, I'm going to pick Ephraim, because Ephraim in his name has that energy of the generations moving forward on one after another through this fruitfulness, through this abundance. Menashe's name represents, poor Menashe, it's not his fault, but his name represents something else, which is the cutting off from the earlier generation. And on that count, well, of course, Jacob isn't going to pick that model. Jacob's picking the model of a through line that goes from be fruitful and multiply Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be fruitful through Joseph and Ephraim right? And not the name that means like, get me away from all of this. I'm just going to become an Egyptian, okay? So maybe that's a hint as well. Okay, wish we had more time to process, but uh, I'll leave it there. Um, we will have one more class next week, um, and then we'll break for a couple weeks for the winter. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class. 
some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us, uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And, um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that, that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week. 